I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. We are in a sermon series during the Advent season, thinking together about Christmas thieves, those things that rob us of Christmas joy, those things that rob us of a sense of peace, those things that rob us of hope, that cause us to get distracted. Last week we looked at the Christmas thief of busyness, and uh, this morning we're thinking about the Christmas thief of shallowness, just going through the motions at Christmas time and not going down deeper spiritually. And John the Baptist had a profound and a very uh, thunderbolt kind of ministry uh, as he was the forerunner of Jesus the Messiah coming to earth six months older than Christ and uh, certainly paved the way. I want to read from chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And reading through verse 14, and I invite you, if you're able to stand, please, as I read God's word aloud. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled And every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We're thinking this morning about spiritual shallowness, uh, a shallowness that uh, keeps us from going down deeper to experience more of the season. A spiritual shallowness is a thief that robs us of joy and peace and real meaning at Christmas time, and it's so easy to just ride the crest of emotion and not really take time to spiritually reflect on the season. Uh, I, I don't want to necessarily define Uh, spiritual shallowness as I'm using it this morning as much as I want to describe it. Uh, The spiritually shallow are the people who have just enough of the uh, churchy religious thing 
to keep them from getting the real thing. Kind of like inoculation, you know. They, they have just enough of the churchy Jesus religious thing to keep them from getting the real thing. Uh, spiritually shallow people show up during Christian festivals like Christmas and Easter uh, and take part in them, but without a relationship personally with Jesus Christ, the reason for those festival seasons. Uh, spiritually shallow people uh, come to depend upon uh, going to church or taking communion or getting baptized or doing good works in the community as sort of a religious rabbit's foot. If I do these things in a superstitious way, uh, they will be magic. I'll have this magic protection from any problems in my life. Uh, I'll have fire insurance so I won't go to hell. And it is for them no deeper than superstition, no deeper than uh, magic, uh, it's just a sort of surface, a perfunctory sort of thing. In other words, uh, the spiritually shallow are the ones who want church without life change. I want to go to a building. I want to ease my conscience, but I don't want to change my life. I don't want Christ to change my life. That's what it means to be spiritually shallow. And it's, it's a Christmas thief. Because it is so easy to just join in the festivities and sort of hide in plain sight. And it, and it really doesn't work and it doesn't satisfy us. Uh, I want to create an analogy that will maybe help us think about how empty and how unhelpful spiritual shallowness is during this very special season. I want you to imagine that you were suddenly dropped down in the middle of nowhere, somewhere in the United States where you'd never been before, and you're dropped down into a home of a family that you know nothing about. You have no connection to anyone sitting around the table, but they are celebrating someone's birthday. And you're sitting there, and you don't know the person whose birthday is being celebrated. Uh, but out of politeness, you smile as they tell family stories, well, that was really a fun story. That was interesting. And you nod when they, when they talk about previous birthdays. And you may even take a piece of cake. And you might even join in singing happy birthday. But how fulfilling or enjoyable is it if you're at the birthday celebration and you don't have any personal connection to the one who's being celebrated. You see how empty that is? And we can come to church and we can politely smile as the church tells its stories, uh, as the church recounts uh, what God has done in Christ. We can even have a piece of cake, take communion. We can even sing some of the songs. But if nothing's happened to our heart, if we've not been born again, if we're not in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, how empty that is. How shallow that is. How much more meaningful to be at a birthday celebration when you, know that when you not only know the person who's being celebrated, but you're, you love that person. A, a spouse, a boyfriend, girlfriend, a... a a child, a grandchild, a, a grandparent, a brother, a sister, 
I mean, it's just so much richer when you know that person. Well, John the Baptist was, was sent by God six, six months ahead of Jesus' public ministry, six months older than Jesus, uh, to prepare the way and to talk about how fruitless, shallow spirituality is. And he, to, to get at an understanding of his revolutionary message, we could talk for just a moment about baptism. Before John the Baptist came, baptism was used by the Judeans of that region in their worship as a ceremonial cleansing. The same person would be baptized often, not for any heart change, not to signify any change of life direction, not the incorporating of the lordship of God in their lives, but just as a ceremony, a perfunctory, a perfunctory ritual. And they'd be dipped over and over again. John came along and said, I have a different baptism. It's a baptism of repentance, life change. It's a baptism of heart change and for forgiveness of sins. Radically different use of baptism that was going to go below the surface and move beyond the shallow. Now, in the process, John told the crowd as they gathered some out of curiosity, he called them a nest of snakes, a brood of vipers. I can tell you from firsthand experience, that is not the way to get invited home for lunch after church. You're just never going to get invited to join friends at lunch after, uh, after worship services. It's just not going to work. Call, and why did he call them a brood of vipers, a, a nest of snakes? Because, well, first of all, he was pretty blunt. Uh, honesty, I think, was his spiritual gift. Uh, he doubted their sincerity. He believed that it was all shallow. It was all surface. It was superficial. He doubted their sincerity, and I ran across this really uh, cynical statement. I, it's actually attributed to a lot of different people, uh, but an actor said one time, sincerity is the key. Fake that and you can do anything. See? Sincerity is the key. Just fake that and you've got it made. And John sensed that some people were play-acting. And uh, he goes on and he not only challenges their sincerity, but he says, you need to bring forth fruits. The literal Greek is, you need to bring forth fruits that weigh as much as the repentance you profess. You need to bring about life change. And he says, he also challenges automatic religion. He says, uh, don't start saying, we have Abraham for our father. They were, they were trying automatic religion. Because our parents and grandparents went to church, that must mean we're okay with God. He said, don't try automatic religion. That's shallow. Uh, we try automatic religion all the time. You know, my parents, my grandparents. Or we try automatic just because you have a sentimental experience during Advent and you get misty-eyed at the candlelight service Christmas Eve doesn't mean you're in a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. There has to be something more. It's not automatic. Or uh, we say, well, you know, I had an emotional experience. Well, emotional experience do not, does not automatically make us right with God. You know, we went to 
church camp when we were 12 and the bonfire service Thursday night, I got all emotional. It's not enough. It's not automatic. Or some people go the intellectual route. I believe intellectually that Jesus Christ died on the cross. It's not enough. It's not automatic. John wanted us to be done with the automatic stuff and know that we each have to have our own encounter and experience and relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. And he says, even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. The axe is getting ready to swing and it's going to chop down all the unfruitful lives. I ran across this quote when I was in seminary and I I don't know who said it originally, but I, I I want you to think about how this summarizes John the Baptist's ministry. With one fell swoop, John the Baptist excommunicated the entire Jewish nation and received back into membership only those who repented. You get that? With one fell swoop, he took the axe and he said, everybody out. And the only ones in are the ones who genuinely repent. There's no automatic. And see, that's what repentance does. It it depletes us of all of our pride fortresses, all the proud places we hide behind. Repentance dismantles all of those. And repentance makes us stark naked in the presence of the living God where we understand our sin, we understand our failure and our brokenness, and that only Jesus can save us. And we, by faith, cry out to him and commit our life to him and invite him to come into ours. That's what saving faith is. That's what repentance is. Now, we need to be careful when we talk about repentance because Repentance is not only for those other people. You know where I'm going here, right? You're thinking, oh man, preacher preaching on repentance. I wish so-and-so was here this morning. Right? Yeah. Or we think repentance is only for the unconverted. Oh, he's preaching a revival sermon for the unconverted. Just check scripture out. How many references to repentance is to the church, including this scripture? and one in Revelation, the second and third chapter. How many times repentance is toward believers to do a course correction, to do a house cleaning, to do a spiritual preparation? We also make a mistake when we make repentance only about private sins. You know, those nasty little things that we never talk about, the darkness of our own hearts. Certainly repentance... The call to repentance is to repent of that. But it's interesting that what John the Baptist focused on when people came to him and said, would you apply this sermon to my life situation? Three sets of shallow followers came to him and said, what does that mean? And in the first instance, it's, it's all relational. See, repentance is personal, but it's never private. It's not just you and Jesus and your private little your private little repentance party. It's always social. It's always relational. The first set came to him. What do we do? And he said, well, for one thing, share your clothing with people who are cold and share your food with people who are hungry. See, it's relational. Tax collectors came. 
and they had the right under Roman rule to, take, to collect as much money as they could. All they had to do was give Rome what Rome required. They could keep the rest. He said, don't extort, don't bully, don't misuse your power as tax collectors. Soldiers came to him and said, what do we do? And he said, stop using your power to, uh, to extort, to frighten, to terrorize. And it's all about relationships. Repentance is always social. It's always about people. It's never just private. You probably have seen this, uh, this on social media by Steve Maraboli. Want to keep Christ in Christmas? Feed the hungry. Clothe the naked. Forgive the guilty. Welcome the unwanted. Care for the ill. Love your enemies. And do unto others as you would have done unto you. Now I want that to sink in. I want you to think about that. And I want you to think about this possibility. Is it possible that this supposed war on Christmas that we like to make so much about is just a pleasant distraction so that we don't have to focus on the hard work of repentance? Could it be that all of our whining about how they have taken Christ out of Christmas is just an excuse for us not to have to clothe the naked, feed the hungry, welcome the stranger, and forgive enemies? Because it's just a whole lot easier to rant about how they've taken Christ out of Christmas instead of repenting and making sure that we are Christ this Christmas to others in all of our social connections. You ever ask yourself why so many of us stay shallow spiritually? Pretty simple. It's easier. Repentance is hard work. Repentance goes against everything that's natural within us. Repentance is a dismantling of the ego, and that goes against everything instinctual in us about survival and about asserting our own way. It's just hard work. I was at the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship General Assembly this past June, and I attended a conference led by a Christian psychologist, a licensed psychologist, And he said that repentance, biblical repentance, is simply taking responsibility for our own actions. Repentance is taking responsibility for our own actions. And then he added a phrase. He said, repentance is turning toward wholeness, turning away from our fragmentation, turning away from our brokenness, and turning toward wholeness and letting Jesus make us whole. So, sisters and brothers in Christ, repentance always precedes the coming of Christ. It was so in Luke chapter 3, and it will be so for us during this Advent season. Repentance will always precede the successful coming of Christ. It's true in conversion. Before we can ever come to Christ, there has to be that dismantling. It's true every step of the Christian journey as Christ would come to us in fresh ways.
Repentance always precedes the coming of Christ. And it's through repentance that we go deeper, that we get beyond the dissatisfying surface stuff and get down deep into a satisfying relationship with Christ. Let's pray together. As we bow for just a moment, we invite you to form your own prayer. Maybe it is for the first time to say, God, I'm tired of running. I stop hiding behind my pride. I repent. Jesus, come into my life. Maybe for the first time you're doing that. Jesus, I by faith trust you and commit to you. Maybe for you, already a follower of Christ, it's some other kind of repentance. Or just a hunger, a desire to go deeper, beyond the shallows. In just a moment, when we stand and sing our response time, we invite you, if you uh, have newly invited Jesus Christ into your life, to come share that with us. Or if you're hungry to know more about that and you want to talk to us, you may come or you may come to join our church, come and pray about a matter, or right where you stand, between you and the Lord, to just go deeper and richer into a relationship with Him. Heavenly Father, thank You for the outpouring of Your grace. By Your Holy Spirit, have Your way with each of us through Christ. Amen.